Welcome to the Truman Charities Podcast, a community of caring. I am Jamie Truman, your host. I'm one of the co-founders of Truman Charities. Our organization has raised over $1 million for several different charities as we share our message of helping others and paying it forward. We plan to continue to educate our audience on the culture of giving. On this podcast, I will interview fellow charity founders, volunteers, sponsors, and other people in the community who will share their stories. You will hear and be inspired by their selflessness and passion for helping others. All right. Thank you for tuning into another episode of A Community of Caring. Make sure to rate and review this podcast for your chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card and my favorite daily gratitude journal. All you have to do is make sure to screenshot your review before you hit submit and send it to me via Facebook at Truman Charities or Instagram at Jamie underscore Truman Charities. We pick a winner the first of every month. Now I am ready to introduce my guest who I am so excited to have on, Heidi Webb, the owner of Green Kite Fundraising. So anyone who is listening, please stop right now, go get a pad of paper and pencil because she is going to give you some key tips to take your nonprofit to the next level. So thank you so much, Heidi. How are you? Oh, I'm great after that introduction. Thank you so much. I truly, I've known Truman Charities almost since the beginning, and I feel equally honored to spend time with you today. So I'm happy to be here. That's so sweet. So for anyone that doesn't know you, I want to talk a little bit about yourself and how you got into the nonprofit world. So if you don't mind, can you let us know to begin, like what inspired you to start Green Kite Fundraising? So that's interesting. You know, I should start by sharing how I got into nonprofit in general. It's almost 23 years ago, hard to believe, but I was in the for-profit space and um, making good money, working all the time, but something was just missing. And so I took a job with a nonprofit as their human resources director. And I said, when I accepted the job, you know, I'll work here for a few months. I ended up there for seven years. And I built their development department from scratch. And so the reason I share that with you is my launch into consulting space was somewhat similar. So I've been doing this for a number of years as a frontline fundraiser. I've always led, or I had always led development teams right at the helm. And so working for some pretty phenomenal causes, I had no complaints. There wasn't a a lack of, of love. There wasn't a burnout moment. It was just, I felt like it was time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my first client came to me, it was an international client and it was, you know, just the perfect opportunity, the perfect time. I can't say that I had a business plan and I would budgeted and I'd worked it out. I was riding on all those years of doing it and hope and prayed and took the leap and it's worked out. Thankfully. Did you think it was a tough transition I didn't think it would be because I knew, listen, I will never say that I know everything about everything, but I know a lot about fundraising. I've been doing it for so long and I'm a learning type person. So I never stop learning. You know, I've got a masterclass membership. I'm a part of the Association for Fundraising Professionals. I listen to podcasts and webinars and I'll never stop doing that. And though I knew I was coming into the space as an expert with a good reputation, I burned no bridges. And so, and so that wasn't hard. What's been hard for me, frankly, mm-hmm. is transitioning my mind 
from someone who is at the helm and can take care of everything and then some mm -hmm. to someone who needs to learn to sort of stay in their lane. And I only say this because, you know, I'll see things in a marketing department or in, you know, a finance department and know based on experience that I can help. But I've learned that I only have so many hours in the day. And if I've been hired to do one thing, I should probably just do that one thing as opposed to putting on that W-2 hat and trying to handle it all. It's got to be hard because you have so much knowledge in so many different areas that you want to help as much as you can. So it's got to be very difficult to kind of stay in, in your lane, as you say. Yes. So, you know, I, I think people would be um, interested to find out mm -hmm. what are some of your biggest challenges you faced while helping clients with fundraising? That's a good one. You know, the biggest challenge really is for them is to have their systems in place. I think sometimes your focus on the end game, getting the donation, getting the grant, almost takes precedence over the structure and the foundation of your development department. So while there is a time and financial investment in setting up a good contact management database and in setting up a good structure for who's going to thank the donor and how, who's going to manage the relationship, even though that's time consuming, it's so, so important. Donors these days in particular have shiny penny syndrome. And I don't mean that as a dig. It's just the reality. Most donors, people who are philanthropic, give to four to five charities on any in any one given year. And there's always room for to have any number of those five charities drop off the list so a new one can come on because maybe their neighbor or their son or daughter or someone introduced them to a new cause. So you want to make sure that you're the, the keeper when they are making decisions about where they want to give from their heart. So if somebody were to be starting um, a fundraiser, right? And that's overwhelming. Just the thought of that it can be a little daunting. So if you were to just give them a couple tips, what would those tips be? If they were starting a fundraiser? A fundraising campaign. A campaign. Oh, goodness. Uh, I love campaigns, first of all. The true definition of a campaign is there's a sunrise and a sunset, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I always work backwards. Okay. So most people say in the beginning, I say in the end. And I visualize and I ask my clients to do the same. What makes you physically feel really great about this being over? You know, what, what happens? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What do you see in front of you? And then we work backwards with the planning and the fun stuff. But before getting into a campaign, it's just to be realistic about your goals. Be honest with yourself about what you need to achieve those goals and give yourself a little bit more time than you think you need. Oftentimes, we underestimate the courtship of a contributor in a major way. So for example, the largest individual gift that I've personally asked for and received is $110,000. Now I've gotten millions from foundations and corporations, but like an individual, a human who you're asking to give, you know, yeah. give a lot, right? That took six months. It was a courtship. You know, it, it wasn't a hard courtship. It was a natural match, but there's scheduling. There's, you know, writing things down. It's a, it's almost like a contract. Right. And so I wouldn't assume, oh, this person A has resources and I think they would give a gift and next month we'll get it. I mean, there's a process. And so give yourself and the people working with you time, engage people. There are people with big hearts uh, like you and your family 
and you know you have busy schedules and but if someone were to ask you hey I need your help as opposed to hey I just need some more of your money I'm certain that you and your family would give it but you need to work within your schedule speaking now to the folks listening in you know not their own now this past year has been quite challenging for everybody. And I can only imagine how challenging it's been um, for some of the nonprofits that you've worked with. So what have been the challenges for fundraising during the pandemic? And how were you able to help these nonprofits pivot their fundraising model to still be able to raise donations? I'm going to say something a little shocking. And that is that 100% of my clients, I can't take full credit for it, but 100% of the clients I work with actually did better this year. Wow. And what that means, and the reason for that is they have established relationships with their donors and their board, their board members. And as a result, those donors and those board members rose to the occasion as most philanthropic people do and said, I know it's a tough year. I'm going to give more. or I'm going to give monthly or I'm going to give time so that you can get 10 more of me down the road. I, I did some really fun campaigns right in the beginning, some crowdfunding campaigns. In fact, my favorite was for a Baltimore-based nonprofit. We did a um, redistributing funds campaign and we explained that, you know, what here's what you're saving in gas. Here's what you're saving at from not going to the nail salon. This was at the beginning of the pandemic where no one was going out. Right. And we were saying, hey, give us the money that you're not spending on those items that you would normally dry cleaning, for example. It was so fun and so much money was raised. But yeah, long and short is, and we spoke to this earlier, if you have really good, strong, established relationships with your donors, they won't let you down in times of like the ones we just faced, really. Right. Wow, that is great advice. And it is true. I mean, you just have to establish this really strong connections and relationships. Absolutely. So with everything you have going on, which is so much, and I have no idea how you get everything done. Tell us about your team of marketing and fundraising professionals. Like how does that process work? Yeah, so um, I'm really fortunate. I, you know, have a group of people who are experts in their own right and have their own companies in most cases. And so what consulting has allowed me to do is really get to know those people in my network who are phenomenal at what they do better than I or complement my services nicely. And I brought them to the table and I bring them to the table with different clients. There's a matching aspect to it that goes on behind the scenes. Every nonprofit has its own culture and the way they like to do things. And so I like to match up not just skill set, but personality. So I have grant writers, I have graphic designers, some video folks, Mm -hmm. some phenomenal and very skilled strategic fundraising and marketing folks. So no one contract is the same. I wish that I had some days. I wish I had cookie cutters. So it would be just more, you know, but I don't. And, and it is, maybe I don't wish it because that's not really my, my way, but I'm lucky in that I have a phenomenal group of people that are in my network and who work with me on, on special projects. That is such a great kind of outlook on it because so many people and, and different organizations have so many different personalities and their end goals are very different. So to match them up with the perfect person is so instrumental to, to their success. So it's a true value add, really. I mean, when you think about, I look back now at the development teams that I led and the people who were a part of my team. And I think to myself, you know, in some cases, 
because I was known for having a lean and mean team. I was, that was my reputation, right? So nonprofits enjoyed having me lead their teams because I wasn't wasteful. So I, for example, worked with a a regional organization in the Washington metropolitan area and they had a 14 person development team. I took it down to five. And the reason for that is that I think sometimes nonprofits will hire, you know, we need a development director. We need a grant writer. Mm-hmm. And they'll go off and hire them. And it's not time. And having someone on staff who you have to pay, you have to pay their benefits, you have to pay for the time that things are slow and the time that, you know, vacation time and the like, the list goes on and on. I think that's where the consulting model is really a benefit to nonprofits, Oh, absolutely. Uh, where they can really do more with less. That is very true. And, and I love that outlook. So with you talking about all everyone that you have on your team, and if you look through your website, it's just, you offer so many amazing services. Mm. There is one thing that I kind of see over and over again um, with a lot of nonprofits that they have a little bit of a problem navigating. And I'd love for you to just give a couple tips for us is that um, social media obviously is, is very overwhelming. There's so many different outlets. Mm-hmm. And what tips could you give other nonprofits on how to keep their social media accounts engaging to the public? Mm, That is a really phenomenal question. I have a love-hate personally with social media. I have people on my team who live it, right? They get up in the morning and they start posting. And so I rely on them more than myself for, but I know a little bit, you know, I, I certainly have learned some tricks of the trade. And the biggest one is social media is not like old fashioned websites where you put it up and you you speak some truth and you walk away. It's all engagement. And if while I'm less familiar with Clubhouse, if you know anything about Clubhouse, anyone listening in, it's all engagement. It's 100% engagement. There's no stagnant posts. There's no, oh, Heidi said this and here's a picture of her doing it. It's it's real-time interaction, which is what people are craving. So I think where social media, folks who don't do well on it are folks who post and, and walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone comments, when someone likes, you have to respond very, very quickly. And so one of the things I highly recommend that nonprofits do is if you can't interact well in all you know, let's say you have five accounts. So, you know, you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Facebook. Figure out the one that makes the most sense mm-hmm. for your mission and give it your all rather than have five different accounts, you know, because you'll, you'll hear someone will say to you, we have to be on TikTok. Maybe a board member says to the nonprofit ED, you got to be on TikTok. Everybody's on TikTok. Why? What does that audience bring us that our current audience does not? If the answer is something wonderful, then Take one away and and spend the time. The other recommendation I have is from time to time, have guest managers. Volunteers are the secret sauce of nonprofits. Some people know this, some people don't. But get a volunteer who's well-versed in your subject matter and have them take over for a month. Get get a fresh perspective. Trust them. That's the other thing. Some people say, well, I can't, they they can't have the passwords. They can't have the, give it to them, you know, test them for a month or test them for a couple of weeks and say, listen, send the posts to me on Sunday night. I'll review them and post them. And once they get the swing of things, hand them the keys and say, here they are. You've got the keys for a month because it keeps things fresh, right? It does. And that's a great Thing for nonprofits to do because it is difficult sometimes for you to hand over those keys, right? Oh, no, I get it. I get it. But you have to trust, right? 
Yes. But it's so necessary for you to grow as an organization. You got to let other people and fresh ideas come in. So that's great. And um, well, taking away a little bit, walking away a little bit from, you know, green kite fundraising. And I know outside of it, which is how you do this, I have no idea how you have the time, but you volunteer and work with so many different organizations. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your other volunteer work. I know you work with uh, Hero Dogs and Women's Giving Circle of Howard County and Small Miracles Cat and Dog Rescue. So obviously animals are a big part of your life, it sounds like. Yes. And I, if he were here, I would show off our new rescue Cole. He is, I always say he mended my heart. I had a lot of loss in 2020 and I didn't know how I was going to get through it and walked in to volunteer with uh, Small Miracles, Dog and Cat Rescue in Ellicott City, Maryland. And you know how they say this with relation or you walk in and you don't see anyone else in the room. Well, I walked in and there was no other dog. It was just Cole and we brought it into our home. I'm sorry. What kind of dog is he? Well, funny enough, we didn't know. I thought he was a plot hound. We were all, the whole family was making guesses on what he was, you know, because most most rescues are, are mixed. And we had the DNA test done. Embark, I think was the, the name of the company. I think that was the name of the company that does DNA tests. And we were surprised to find out he's almost 60% husky. He doesn't look wow. at him to me. Um, of course, he has pit bull. Most rescues do. And a little bit of this and that as well. But he's gorgeous. He's, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't know if you've seen my page, but I'll I'll share pictures. He's really a lot to take in. He's very cute and charming, but the biggest thing is he's always happy. He definitely is that signature rescue. He knows he was rescued from a life that wasn't so great into something that's quite special. So back to the volunteer piece. So I volunteer for a couple of reasons. Um, One is really altruistic. It feels like the right thing to do as a parent to showcase to your children that you know, this is important, but also to learn uh, from nonprofits. I, you know, the places that I volunteer, I take notes, you know, what what's working that they're doing, what's not working. Uh, you know, I try to take off my development hat and not take on that role with them so that I can be that observer and learner of what they do right. I'm not looking for them to do something wrong, but also what, what they can improve upon. And I decided animals because most of the nonprofits up until actually last month all of the nonprofits I have served in a consulting capacity or, or have worked for have been human service nonprofits. And that was really important to me that I was giving back to the greater good of humanity. But my heart's with animals. You know, I'm, I'm the little girl who saves, you know, caterpillars. And I'm still the little girl inside who will go save birds who fell from the tree. I mean, that is absolutely who I am. Yes. And so it made sense to, in my spare time, go work, work with animals. But I also am in a leadership role with Rotary International, Mm -hmm. which is a civic organization, as you know, that is responsible really in taking the lead on eradicating polio. And now they're, you know, really headfirst into putting resources and expertise into this whole environmental crisis that we're in. So it's a network of people all over the globe who really care about humanity, the environment, and they give back. So wherever Rotary Clubs are exist, wherever their roots are, they give to that local community uh, in time and in resources. And every week you get together and you learn something new from a guest speaker. So the list goes on and on, but I ended up being a Rotary Club president and then became what's called uh, assistant governor. So 
in the Washington metro area, there are, you know, a dozen assistant governors. So I oversee seven clubs now. Wow. I don't know. It's exciting. I know it is exciting. I do. So my husband's also in the Rotary uh, for anyone that doesn't know. And he was always like when the guest speaker would come on, he would be texting me and just, you get these phenomenal speakers and he would learn so much. And I would be so jealous, like at home with the kids. I'm like, I want to go. Um, <laughs> well, you can. I know. I know. I have to get in there because it, it is such a great organization. So and it's a wonderful thing to get your children involved in because they have a global travel scholarships. It, it really is. Yeah. I wish I had known about it when I was younger. It's because you can really start engaging with Rotary, you know, in high school or even a little bit before then. That is true. And so I want to know what's the one thing that you enjoy most about working with the nonprofit organizations? The people. These are really just really good people uh, who believe in what they do and want to make the world better in, you know, whatever the cause, you name it. I've been in the mental health space, foster care, rare disease, veteran services. It's all the same. These are humans who want to make a difference. And so where I feel good, they, they, what did they say? I fill my cup, if you will, or I lay my head down nicely on the pillow at night. The thing that keeps me going is that the world's going to be a little bit better. And it might be better just for that one group of constituents, but it is improved as a result. And, um, you know, it did, it definitely helped that I didn't, or that I did grow up in a situation where things weren't perfect. Right. And I know a little bit about, you know, poverty. I know a little bit about uh, despair and, and hunger and education in a way that really made me much more compassionate and empathetic. And I love surrounding myself with people who are smart, but who need, you know, who need my advice, who want and need help with fundraising. Most of them are are good fundraisers. They just don't know it yet. Right. So you just kind of come in and tweak what they already have to make it fantastic and really. I think I turn on a light for them. I really do. I do a lot of coaching for CEOs or executive directors, as they're usually called for nonprofits. And and I work with development teams because I don't want to take anyone's job. I want to make them better at their job. Right. And that is when you see an executive director who used to shake at the podium or used to shake or cancel appointments because they didn't want to ask for money to all of a sudden, you know, running on to the stage and, and saying, I'd like to ask that for that money, or I'd like to, you know, um, present to that group. It is like, you couldn't fill me up any, I I just, I can't be any happier. (laughs) It just makes me so happy to know that, that I was able to turn on that light switch. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, what would your advice be to anyone that's looking to start a nonprofit? Mm. Well, do your homework. There are a lot of nonprofits uh, out there. And you want to make sure that you're not duplicating efforts in any way. Um, but let's say all that aside, right? You know, because everyone thinks they have the idea. And I don't want to crack, you know, crush anyone's spirit around anything philanthropic. However, still do your homework. Because if it's being done in the community already, maybe you can partner with a nonprofit as opposed to starting your own. However, let's say there's room and what you do is is unique or adds to the benefit of the community. Get that website registered right away, just like a business. You want to make sure you you have a space out in the universe. I've worked with several nonprofits who waited a very long time to get their URL and 
you know, had to pay thousands of dollars to unhook it because then they didn't want to change their name. Obviously, get your C3 status paperwork, you know, out of the way. And to do that, you really need every state's different in terms of what you need. So just Google what you need for your particular state. But let's say here in the Washington metro area, you need to have your officers lined up. So who's going to be on your board? And don't think, okay, I'm a nonprofit. I have to have all millionaires on my board. Get a working board first. You can get your millionaires later. Get a working board first that will help you and roll up their sleeves and help you really get your nonprofit through the growth stage of its life cycle. Those are the pieces of advice that sort of rattle off to me. I, that's a whole, you know, a whole day we can spend on it. But the, the truth of the matter is there is room for improvement upon what's already being done. Just make sure you've done your homework, get together your, your tribe, your, your board, the people who are going to help you and go for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could sit here and talk to you for hours. I have, I'm going back to the onion. You have a beach to go to. <laughs> yes. Right now I have at the beach with my family. So I will wrap this up because I know that you are, are so busy and I could just sit here and, and talk to you forever. But I want anyone that's listening, if they would love to get in touch with you to kind of ask more questions and, and see if you would be a help or a good fit with their organization, how could they get in touch with you, Heidi? I mean, the best way is text, but I, I don't know that I'm ready to give my phone number out to the world. But, um, you know, just hit me up by email, Heidi, H-E-I-D-I at greenkitefundraising.com. And I would love to connect. I mentor, I coach, I consult. So if there's a need out there and you feel that I can fill it or someone on my team can help, just give us a ring or send me an email rather. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Heidi. And I hope that you have a great day. And I, you have given so many amazing tips. I'm sure everyone's very excited. Thank you so much. I think so highly of Truman Charities and what you and your family are doing for the community. So I, it was an honor and anytime. That is so sweet. All right. Thank you so much, Heidi. All right. Take care. Bye. If you would like to learn more about our organization, please follow us on Facebook at Truman Charities or Instagram at Jamie underscore Truman Charities or check out our website, trumancharities.com. I hope you enjoyed listening and hearing stories of selflessness and caring. Thank you so much. And I will see you next time.